Well, good morning, everyone. Let's stand and sing. Go ahead. Hit it. We're going to start with a call to worship this morning. Yours, O oh Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything. Earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Father, let your kingdom come. And Father, let your will be as in heaven, right here in my heart. Give us this day. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us, forgive us. As we forgive the ones who sin against us. Forgive them and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the with him 
for all eternity. There will be a day when all will bow before Him. There will be a day when death will be no more. Standing face to face with He who died and rose again. Holy, holy is the Lord. And every prayer with great and desperation, the songs of faith we sang through doubt and fear. And in the end, we'll see that it was worth it. When he returns to wipe away our tears Oh, there will be a day When all will bow before him There will be a day When death will be no more Standing face to face Join the resurrection And stand beside The heroes of the faith With one voice A thousand generations Sing worthy is the Lamb who was slain And on that day We join the resurrection
says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Have a seat, have a seat. And as you're finding your seat, pull that blue card out that says welcome at the top, or if it's flipped over, it says prayer. Get that out, show your neighbor so everyone knows what we're looking at, and go ahead and put some information on there. Go ahead and put your name on there. Keep that card close. Uh, on the back, there's uh, a place you can put prayer requests. It's a great way to respond as you're hearing God's Word taught a little later. I encourage you to fill that out, and, and we'll receive those at the end of the service when we um, uh, also receive the offering at the end as well. well. My name is Jacob. I'm associate pastor here, and man, it is such a great Sunday to be at church. It's the, the hustle and bustle of everything going on, and we get to sit for a second. We get to sing praises to Jesus. We get to hear his word taught, and so just uh, relax a little bit and enjoy this time uh, because the busyness is here. We do have a great service planned next week. It's our Christmas Eve morning service. It's 9 a.m. 11, same, uh, same time as always. And here's what I know about Christmas Eve. Everybody wants to go to church on Christmas Eve. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of people who don't have a church home, and they would love to be invited. So I want to encourage you with that. Invite someone, even if you're thinking... Um, I don't know if they go to church anywhere. It's a great opportunity to invite. Everyone wants to be invited to church. Everyone wants to attend church, and some people just don't know where to go. So it's going to be a great service with skits and some hot cocoa, some photo ops. The Christmas story will be read. We'll sing some uh, praises. We'll sing some Christmas songs. We'll hear a Christmas message and, and uh, receive some prayer and all that. So it's going to be a great time. Uh, we are going to receive the Lord's Supper in just one second, but I'd love to pray for you. Uh, all that information can be found in your worship guide. There's some fun stuff coming up. wanted to encourage you to, to do that. So let's pray. Father, we are grateful together in Jesus' name as uh, we remember. We get to pause. We get to reflect. We get to remember through the Lord's Supper. And God, I just pray for everyone. I know sometimes this season is full of joy and young kids, and sometimes this season is full of pain, but God, we are relying on your Son. Um, Father, He is sovereign, He is good, and He likes to give us good gifts, and today we get to remember one of those gifts, which is Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. We are about to participate in what the Bible calls the Lord's Supper. As members of Great Commission Church, we enjoy being reminded that Christ Jesus died for our sins. The Bible says, For the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible also says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. The Lord's Supper is an activity where we rejoice together that we still believe in Jesus. We believe he is the one who helps us to keep loving God and loving each other. We proclaim he is alive and coming back one day. If you are a guest here today and share this saving faith in the Lord Jesus, we invite you to participate with us. If you are not a Christian or prefer to do this at your own local church, you can simply remain in your seat and observe how we do this. Unbaptized children, can come to the table, but we ask that you withhold the elements and use this as a time to spark their questions and continue your gospel conversations with them. At this time, our ushers will release groups by rows.
Let's all stand and sing one more song together this morning.
can have a seat. Last night, my wife and my two younger sons and I, after we had a good meal together, we were playing a card game. And, uh, and then on CBS, it was that time of the year where they play all the children's Christmas specials, and it's always, what's first? Rudolph, and then followed by Frosty. Um, so I've been watching those since I was a kid, and, and <laughs> you know, my, my youngest son's 18. He's a senior in high school, and it, it was coming on. He was, he was ex as excited as if he was eight, and I was like, I'm kind of, kind of feeling that too. Do you guys know the TV special I'm talking about, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Claymation? And as we're watching this and playing a card game, my wife and I are evaluating it as 50-year-olds, and, and we, we determined, you know, you're supposed to be afraid of the abominable snowman and Yukon Cornelius, but we kind of like them. You know who I don't really like is Rudolph's dad. <laughs> and in Santa follows suit, like, they're kind of mean, right? They, first of all, they body shame Rudolph, right? <laughs> and you can't do that these days. And, and they're, they're like not proud of him. And they, like they're, they're not casting a good vision for his life. And, and it's, it's awkward. And it's like, why don't you love your son more? I don't get it, right? It, and, and my wife goes, it is just amazing that this thing is now a classic and has been played for 75 years. And there's, if you start looking at it closely, you're like, I don't want a dad like that. I don't want to. And then, and then Santa comes along and he's like all disappointed and rude. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? And last week we, we said that the top 25 song, Christmas songs on Spotify, none of them mentioned Jesus or the birth of Jesus. So there are lots of things in our Christmas culture that, that are head fakes. They're, they, they're meant to make you look away from the Son of God. Uh, but uh, I, I, we're going to sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Uh, uh, next week we sang it today, we sang it last week, because it's inspired the three sermons that I'm preaching. Last week was number one, today's the second one, and then next Sunday, which is... Christmas Eve, because many of the old Christmas carols teach sound doctrine. In fact, they, you, you, you may not even realize it, but you're singing the gospel in the gathering of the saints. So today's message is, Hail the Incarnate Deity. And our, our, our main verse is John chapter 1, verse 14, 
Uh, and so find, find the Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 4, very familiar verse, verse 14. And I want to show you the, the Christmas carol stanza or verse that inspired today's message. I think I've got it on the screen here. Christ by highest heaven adored. You realize that before he was a baby, he's the eternal word being worshipped and adored alongside the rest of the Godhead in the, in the great halls of heaven. Christ by, he, by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Randy just had mentioned to me right before I came up that, that Christ has always been God, but he's not always been man. He is the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come. Offspring of a virgin's womb. In the Christian faith, you, you believe some very strange things, uh, not the least of which is a dead man walked out of a tomb three days after he was crucified, uh, for which we give our highest praise to God. Uh, but we also believe that Jesus was conceived without sin. He's the offspring of a virgin's womb. He didn't have Adam's sin passing into his bloodstream. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. You know what I love about that line? Is that when Jesus put on human flesh, it was to uh, damper or, or conceal all the glory of God that, was, that he was and was in him. It, it, his Godhead is veiled in flesh. It's, it, it's muted somewhat. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. That's pretty well written, do you agree? Here's John chapter 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You can do an entire sermon series on that verse and just take each phrase and make them each a message if you wanted to. By the way, when John 1.14 says the word became flesh, it doesn't mean the Bible became flesh. That's a different word here. It, this is the 14th verse of John chapter 1. There's 13 in front of it. And the very first one says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so we believe in the triune Godhead, that God is one what and three who's. The one what is God and the three who's are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And another word for God the Son is the eternal word. Jesus is the word of the Godhead. In the beginning was the word. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. So, 
verse 14 says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt is the word, it, it makes the word tabernacle or tent a verb. So the word became flesh and, and set up camp among us. It, the word became flesh and pitched his tent around us. The word became flesh and tabernacled among us and we, we beheld his glory do you guys remember, all of John chapter 1, verse 14, is an allusion to Exodus 32 and 33, where Moses talks to God on the mountain. And you remember what Moses asked of God? He said, would you show me your glory? And you know what God said? He said, I will, I'll do that. He goes, you can't look at it, it'll kill you, which is awesome. So I'm going to hide you in the, in the rock of the mountain, and I'm going to pass by, and you get to see my back. You can see the back of me. But that's not all he said. You know what he said? Moses says, show me your glory. And God says, okay, I'm going to cause all my goodness to pass before you. So God's glory, if it's anything, it's his goodness. So that... When the word became flesh, when God put skin on and moved into the neighborhood, as the message says, I love that. When God came and camped with us, he was being good to us. He was, he was showing us that he's good and that when you fear God, you don't fear him because he's going to hurt you. You fear him because He's so altogether different than humanity. He's so much higher. His holiness puts him in such an other category uh, that, that men and women, when they came into the presence of the glory of God, they couldn't stand up anymore. They just swooned. It, he's different. God has chosen now to be with his people in a more personal way than ever before. That's what Jesus becoming man means. God was good to us by coming to us, like us, so that we could go, you know what? I can relate to him. Because the most important thing in all of life is whether you have a relationship with God. And it's hard to have a relationship with some ethereal spirit that you can't see that's way out there and different from you. But if he says, you know what? I love you so much, and I'm, I'm so good. I'll just come be one of you, and then I'll purchase you. I'll redeem you. And hail the incarnate deity. Jesus is not just a transcendent representative of God, He's a full human being. He is God incarnate. That means that the one who brought the universe into existence is now born within the universe that he made as a human being. But you know what the problem is? This thought is so familiar, familiar to us in the church that we may no longer be staggered by it. Look, this should buckle our knees. So what I'm preaching about today is the doctrine of the incarnation, and let me just give you a, a definition of this doctrine. It's a little longer, but 
still helpful. The doctrine of the incarnation, that Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten before all the ages, and of one substance with the Father, was made flesh through the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, making him truly God and truly human, possessing two natures, which are not confused, changed, divided, or separated. My brothers and my sisters, Jesus is the God-man. And he's one of a kind. He's the only one that can ever hold those two natures. Well, pastor, does the term incarnation ever appear in the Bible? The answer is no, not that word. We, we just summarized it with that word. However, it was anticipated in the Old Testament, and it is clearly taught from beginning to end in the New Testament. And so that is where we're going to go with this message, with this outline. Just one quick Christmas verse to show you even further that God came to earth as a man. You know Matthew one twenty one. I don't know how many sermons I've done on this one. She will bring forth a what? You know what a son is? It's a human male offspring. Yes? It's a boy. Becomes a man. A son's not a god. She will bring forth a man, a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus means Yahweh saves. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He's not going to save everybody. You know, they're, they're, perhaps this is you, sitting in, a, in the assembly of the saints on the Lord's day, and be honest with you, you just don't care. This does nothing for you. You don't feel it. You're not really into it. And, and in your mind, you go, I'm never going to become one of you. But then you'll die in your sins. And you will, you will meet this same Jesus, the one who saves his people from their sins, the one, who, the one who died for sinners. And you will have no excuse at that judgment moment. And there will be uh, no bargaining. And there will be really not even a dialogue. It'll be a monologue from Jesus. Depart from me, I never knew you. Um, are you saved? Are you one of Jesus' people? Because if the answer is no, there's an urgency that you lack. You're running out of time. You don't have an unlimited amount of no's that you can register to heaven before God says, okay, fine, have it your way. I won't be back. I want to talk to you about a Jesus who saves. And I want to answer, three, I want to answer one question three ways the rest of this sermon. Here's the big question. What did Jesus claim about himself? Because so far, I've been telling you things that I see from the Bible that I'm claiming to you. What did he claim about himself? Three answers. Number one, he claimed to be a man. Did you know this? It's not just us saying that Jesus was fully human. Well, he said it first. The religious leaders go to Jesus in John chapter 8 and they say, did you know that Abraham's our father? We, we have the best lineage. 
we go back to Abraham, the one that God called out of the out of paganism and into, into faith. He's our father. We have his blood. And Jesus said, oh, really? If, if he were your father, you'd do his works. And then after he said, if, if Abraham was your father, you'd do his works, in John eight forty, he says, but now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. What did Jesus Christ claim about himself? He said that he was a man. And then, furthermore, in John's gospel, John wanted it to be crystal clear and for you to have no question about this, and so he made it very simple. In John chapter 4, verse 7, Jesus says to the woman at the well, would you give me a drink of water? Do you want to know why? Because he was thirsty. Why was Jesus thirsty? Because people get thirsty and Jesus was a man. Yes? Not only that, also in John chapter 4, same chapter, John chapter 4, verse 31, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well in the middle of the day, his disciples had gone into, into town to buy food. It was lunchtime. And when they get back, in verse 31, in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Why did Jesus get thirsty and want some water in John chapter 4? And why did his apostles tell him at the end of John chapter 4, Rabbi, it's time to eat, it's lunchtime? Because he was a man. And people get hungry, so they need food and water. Yes? It's, very, it's so, so simple and so plain. What did Jesus claim about himself? He claimed to be a man. Also, in John chapter 11, verse 35, you can already quote this verse. You've been told it's the shortest verse in the Bible, and it is in English, and it's two words. What are those two words in John eleven thirty-five? 35? Jesus, people cry, right? Jesus wept. He was doing what a, what a human does. So he's thirsty, he's hungry, he cries. There are two titles that I'm going to preach to you about right now concerning Hail the Incarnate Deity. Right now we're talking about the incarnate part. Incarnate means in flesh. And one of the titles for Jesus that points to his incarnation, his, his being a human, is he was called Son of Man. Do you know this phrase? Son of Man. In the Gospels, this is Jesus' self-designation. He called himself Son of Man all the time. But did you know that Son of Man showed up in the Old Testament first? This phrase is used in several Old Testament contexts, and it, here's what it always, it's always pointing in the Old Testament except one time. It's always emphasizing human weakness in comparison to God. When someone's called a Son of Man, it is comparing a person to God, and God's always stronger and bigger and mightier. Does that make sense? I'll show you. It won't be on the screen. Just listen very carefully. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? You know, the Bible says, a parallel verse to that in the New Testament is, let God be true and all men liars. When God speaks, he, he never makes a promise that he doesn't keep. Has he spoken and it not come to pass? It's the son of man that repents. But God's not a man that he should lie. That's Numbers 23, 19. Psalm 8, 4. 
What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you visit him? The, the psalmist is saying to God, we don't even understand why you even spend your time and, and, and give us your attention. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you would visit him? See, in the Old Testament, when you saw son of man, it was always showing that man is lesser than God and weaker and needs help. All except one glorious place. In Daniel 7, there's a different kind of son of man. There's a, there's a son of man in Daniel 7 who will come from heaven. He'll be given power and authority to rule, but he will also experience suffering. It's a prophecy about the Lord Jesus, brothers and sisters. It's a Bible verse, two in a row, that you should be familiar with. Just knowing the address, Daniel 7, 13 and 14, and then the content of it. Here it is. I, Daniel says, I was watching in the night visions. Daniel was a prophet and God spoke to him in dreams and visions. I was watching in the night visions and behold, one, <clears throat> one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days. Is that not the coolest way to speak of God the Father you've ever seen? He came to the ancient of days and they brought him near before him and then to him, the, son, the one like the son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. My brothers and my sisters, this is talking about your Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. And I want to say to you, you might have recognized some of those words in verse 14, dominion and glory and a kingdom and all peoples and nations and languages, because you'll see that in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation, after the resurrection has happened, and God has gathered all of his people to himself on the new heavens and the new earth, this one like the Son of Man, who's given this kingdom from the ancient of days, an everlasting kingdom where he rules and reigns, all peoples, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, believers out of all of them. And if you've believed the gospel, you'll be there. And you'll worship this Son of Man. Did you know that in the New Testament, Paul called the Lord Jesus... The Lord, who's the second man. It's 1 Corinthians 14, it's 1 Corinthians 15, 47. The first man's Adam, and he royally messed up. Can we agree? And so God had to send a second man to fix it all. So he sends the son of man. The first man was of the earth, that's Adam, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. So Christ Jesus, who came in the likeness of humans, appeared in a way that was clearly recognizable as human. And when he did, and you could see him, and he looked just like us, he accomplished a monumental task. I don't want to leave 1 Corinthians 15, 47 too soon. The New Testament calls the Lord a man. Do you see it? The second man is the Lord from heaven. 
And what did that man do? Philippians 2 verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Why is Jesus the incarnate deity? Because gods don't die, men do. And you needed somebody to die for you. So Jesus is found in appearance as a man and he became obedient even to the point of death, the death of the cross. Aren't you glad Jesus was willing to obey the Father when we're not willing to obey him? Because Jesus' obedience to the Father made it possible for you to be reconciled to God. When Jesus obeyed his Father and went to the cross, it made a way for you to be forgiven, for God to no longer be your judge, for him to come and be your Father and welcome you into his house. It took a man to do that. What did Jesus claim about himself? He said, I'm a man. You know what else he claimed, number two? He claimed to be God. He's the incarnate deity. Incarnate means man. Deity means God. Jesus claimed to be God. Now, in John chapter 8, Jesus said to the Jewish religious leaders, he said, hey guys, did you know that Abraham rejoiced to see my day? Now, in the New Testament, Abraham had been dead for thousands of years. And Jesus says to the religious leaders, Abraham was pretty pumped up when he got to meet me. Now, that is a heck of a thing to say to rabbis. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. You know what the Jewish leaders said? You're not yet 50 years old. And you claim to know Abraham. You know what Jesus said next? John 8, 58. He said, before Abraham was, I am. You know what I am is? It's the divine name. It's what God told Moses to say to Pharaoh, you remember when Moses went up the mountain, he said, I really don't want to go talk to that guy. I don't even know your name. Who am I supposed to tell the most powerful king on earth, Egypt's Pharaoh, who you are? You know what God said? You just tell him I am that I am. Not I was not I will be, I just am. And in John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus lays claim to the divine name, and you don't have a better verse in all the Bible where Jesus Christ is saying clearly, I am God. See, Jesus claimed to be God. Make no mistake about it. <laughs> And in the same way when he claimed to be a man, there was a title for him called Son of Man. What do you think the title is that he took for himself that pointed to him being God? It's Son of God. I want to just give you a good, cool little list here. Another title applied to Jesus was Son of God. 
and it signaled a special position that only he could fulfill. The first thing I want, I want to ask two questions. Number one, who was called the Son of God or God's Son in the Old Testament? It's a pretty cool list. Here it is. First, heavenly beings were called the sons of God in the Old Testament. Do you remember Job chapter 1? Apparently, God is so awesome that everything he creates that are even beings more powerful than you and me have to go present themselves before him from time to time and give an account of whatever it is they've been doing. And so we read in Job chapter 1 verse 6, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. So in, John chapter, in Job chapter 1, the sons of God are the created angelic beings, of which Satan himself belongs to that order of being. So the first group that's called the sons of God in the Old Testament are the heavenly beings. The second group is the nation of Israel. Not the geography, the people. The, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God calls all of them my son. Exodus 4.22. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says Yahweh, Israel is my firstborn. And the end of the verse says, let my son go. I'm going to get my son back. Number three, final part of this list in the Old Testament, who's called God's son, it's his king, his appointed king. And there is no better example of this than in 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, where God is making a covenant with David. David ends up being the greatest king of Israel in all the Old Testament, pointing to the son of David, who's the greatest king ever, and that's the Lord Jesus. So here's 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14. Here's what God says about his relationship to his appointed king. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But he will be my son. Well, that's who was called God's son in the Old Testament. You know what a better question is? Who called Jesus the Son of God in the New Testament? And this list gets us to the gospel. The first group who called Jesus God's Son in the New Testament are the evangelists. Now, the evangelists are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the four men that wrote the gospels. And here's how Mark started his. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So the evangelists writing gospels, and what was a gospel for Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? It's for people to read and be convinced that Jesus is God and you should believe in him and obey his gospel. That's why Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written. And Mark says, I just want you to know, I'm writing to you about the Son of God. His name's Jesus Christ. The second group in the New Testament that called Jesus the Son of God were his disciples. In, in Matthew 13 and 14, Jesus feeds a multitude 
with a little happy meal of five loaves and two fish, five dinner rolls and two fish. He feeds 5,000 men plus their families and has 12 basketfuls left over. The baskets were so big, it's the same basket in the book of Acts that they put the apostle Paul in and lowered him over the wall in Jerusalem to get him out of town. So the disciples see the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Then Jesus takes them away in a boat. He says, you guys go meet me on the other side of the lake. And he's not with them. A storm comes over the lake. They're professional fishermen, and they're afraid of the, of the, of the storm. And then they look out on, on the water, and Jesus is what? Walking on the water. So they see the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. They see Jesus walking on the water, and here's their reaction to that. Matthew 14, 33. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Two more in this list. Who called Jesus the Son of God in the New Testament? Did you know that the demons called Jesus the Son of God in the New Testament? You don't even have to be a believer. You don't even have to be saved. You don't even have to be made whole again. You can be wicked, estranged, without hope from God and still know this truth. Mark chapter 3, verse 11, And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. Now, they didn't like it. But it was true, and they declared it. But you know who my favorite one on the list? It's the last one. The Gentiles. The, the non-Jews. The people outside of the covenant. Jesus said, I came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel first. Do you remember that? Even the apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to those who believe for the Jew first, and then also for the Gentile. And unless you're Jewish today, you're a Gentile. Outside of all of God's promises until the new covenant. And yet even the Gentiles were given the light of the, of, of the glory of who Jesus was. When he was crucified on the cross, Mark chapter 15, verse 39. So when the centurion, the Roman, the Gentile guy, the unbeliever, when the centurion, the the Soldier over 100 other soldiers. When the centurion who stood opposite the Lord Jesus saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. So now we know the evangelists, the disciples, the demons, and the Gentiles. That just, I think that got everybody in the room, Right? This is a truth that belongs to you. So here's the last answer to the question, what did Jesus Christ claim about himself? Did you know that he claimed to be the point of the whole Bible? He said, everything from Genesis to Revelation is about me. In John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40, <coughs> excuse me, to the Jewish rabbis, he says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, just by reading your scriptures and knowing them. These are they which testify of me. 
but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Jesus says, if you search the scriptures and you don't conclude that what this book is saying is that you should come to me to have life, then you wasted your time and you missed it. You read it and your mind wandered and you didn't understand the point of the book. In the same way, Luke 24, one page over from John 1, Luke 24, verse 27, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Well, pastor, if, the, if all the Bible's about Jesus, so what? I'm glad you asked. Glad you asked. It's the right question. And it's answered by Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. You know what Hebrews 4, 15 teaches? It teaches that Jesus is the incarnate deity. He's incarnate. He, he can sympathize with our weaknesses. He was in all points tempted as we are, but he's also deity, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. When Jesus put skin on and moved into your neighborhood, he was saying to you, you may come to me and I'll give you what you need. You don't have to be afraid. Have you ever come to this Jesus, this incarnate deity, this God man? Will you obey his gospel to repent and believe? To become a Christian and to be put into Christ's body, the church? Why not do it at Christmas time? Some people are sensitive to spiritual things. It's a great time to come to Christ. You need to know what he claimed about himself. He said, I'm a man. I'm also God. All the Bible's about me. That must mean that the most important thing that will ever happen in your life is whatever decision you make about Jesus Christ, whether good or bad, it will set your destiny. You think about that as we pray. Father, would you take the teaching about who Jesus is, would you transform hearts with it? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Trevor, uh, for just reminding us uh, what, the, what the whole book points to. I'm Kyle. I'm the missions uh, pastor here. And as we get ready to uh, close out the service in these last uh, moments of our worship together, uh, we get to worship uh, in a different sort of way. Uh, one of the first things uh, as an act of service and worship is to uh, fill out these cards. And if you've got a little time extra here, we're about to have a little downtime where we're getting ready for the offering and some other things. Uh, if you've got some next steps, if, if what you heard today would prompt you to flip this over and uh, you might have a next step that you're waiting for, you've been contemplating for a while, check that box. Somebody will be in touch with you and we'll help guide you through that. It's a very important part of our church. 
Uh, next, uh, if the guys are getting ready and gals are getting ready to take up the offering, if y'all will come forward and just hold there for a minute. In just a moment, we're going to have a uh, we're going to have a race. Uh, you'll see what I mean in just a moment. Uh, as we set up the offering uh, from a elder standpoint and from the missions pastor standpoint, I just want to say thank you for your generosity this year. Uh, it's just been a tremendous year. We've gotten to be out in the field and see all of the different uh, ways that, that our resources ha have led to the spreading of the gospel. Yes. There's two things I pray pretty much every day for us as a GCC body. The first thing is that our love will abound for each other more and more so that when people come in here and when they're looking from the outside in, they'll know that despite our quirks, our hang-ups, our imperfections, that, that, that we have the real deal, that we love each other. And then the second thing that I pray for us as a body is that, Lord, make us a generous people. And not just with our financial resources. That includes our time and our talents as well. Because there's a lot of moving parts in this church, if you hadn't <laughs> figured that out. And they require uh, supervision. They require us to, to just be a part of them. So when you think about your generosity, uh, think about it in terms of time, talent, and your resources as well. All right, so now uh, for our race. Uh, I'm going to give you a, a little better report on our chi recent trip to Chiapas. Uh, but what you're about to see on the video is us distributing uh, these Kingdom Kid backpacks. And what they are is they're gospel backpacks. They're just tools. Uh, that's a fun part of it. But they attract people and they hear the gospel. And what we're going to do is have a fun time here. We, what we do when we get down there, we put together in the first couple of days 20,000 backpacks. And then the rest of the week, we spend our time getting them out to everybody. Uh, so this is just part of it. And what we're going to do is we have a time-lapse video, and we're going to see if we can distribute 20,000 backpacks in the time it takes these guys to do the offering. So cue the video up, and you'll see this. And all right, you better go, guys. <laughs> And what you're seeing here, uh, the pastors have come in during the middle of the week, and we're sending them out. Each one of them will have a count. Some of them as much as 150 each. Some of them, say, 50, 60. And it just depends on how many they have in their congregation. And each one of these backpacks has school supplies. It has a boy and a girl toy. But most importantly, it has a gospel track uh, that that calls attention and preaches the gospel from Adam and Eve to the cross. So it looks like we got 20,000 out, or, or we're doing it a second time. We hadn't got the offering quite, quite yet. But uh, I'll have a, uh, a more lengthy report, and you'll see a little bit more of that in the coming weeks. And then in February, uh, the founder and CEO of Harvest Evangelistic Association, Greg McClanahan, uh, we're still working on the date, but it'll be sometime in February. He'll be here. He'll give us a, a full report. So, uh, prayer team, if you guys are ready, y'all come forward. Uh, one of the coolest times we have now is our developing prayer ministry. And uh, just come forward and get, get prayer for whatever it is. Uh, they are eager and ready to pray for you. Um, and thank you for being here. So you can stand your feet. If you will, place whatever uh, you've got there in front of you back in the seat. And y'all have a fantastic Sunday.